This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by the McDonald's one, two, three dollar menu. It's hard to have a friend who's a slow eater because when you finish your McChicken sandwich, watching them finish their McDouble cheeseburger and small fries can be excruciating until they notice you staring and offer up a few fries. That must be what friends are for. There's a deal for every moment on the McDonald's one, two, three dollar menu. Get a McChicken sandwich, McDouble cheeseburger, four piece chicken McNuggets or small fries for just a few bucks. Prices of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any offer or combo meal. Hello and welcome to episode 191 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome Mario Rubicaba from Clickatat Ikatawi. Mario has been in many bands from now, Earthless, or you may have heard from Rock from the Crypt, Hot Snakes, maybe Off. And as with the podcast, we speak a lot of time about the formation of the early band Clickatat Ikatawi his time skating, and the scene of San Diego that shaped him. A lot of great stories from Mario, and he is an absolute legend. And it's worth a listen if you've heard one, maybe all, or none of the bands that he's been a part of. It is worth your time to hear his story. Shout out to all the Patreon supporters out there. You make this happen. You keep the lights on on this DIY endeavor. So if you want to help support, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo. This is episode 191 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast with Mario Rubicaba. It goes back really to ch- uh, early childhood for me. Just um, I would I would probably say uh, to you know my mom has a pretty big family, so um, she has four brothers, and uh, you know three of those uncles were you know in the the seventies, just going to concerts and that kind of thing. I was you know probably like five years old, so um, I would. Uh, just listen to their records or even like eight tracks back then. And um, so I just listened to music a lot as a kid at the house at, at, at my grandparents' house. Cause um, uh, I would get babysat there, you know, when my mom was at work. So um, specifically grand, grand funk and like deep purple were like two eight tracks that I would play all day long um, on repeat. And then like, my uncle had like a kiss record they were like the biggest band obviously back then and um <clears throat> aside from like the cartoony nature of them i really liked the music as a kid the the early, like the the earlier stuff so that got me into playing drums um at a really young age um yeah and from there i just was into rock you know like van halen and the kind of classic rock stuff of the day were your parents su- supportive of that? 
Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I got my first like a, a kid's toy drum kit when I was four. And that was just like one of those, um, you know, it was like a Mickey Mouse, like wasn't a real drum kit, but it was like a, you know, right. thing you could hit around for a bit. And then uh, I absolutely just disintegrated that thing. And um, and then my mom got me a real a Japanese like Ludwig knockoff kit when I was like, probably almost like six or something like that. I got a real, it was a real kit. So from there on, um, I just, yeah, I played nonstop, you know, just would put headphones on and try to play the records and stuff like that. Or like, I just, I don't know. I think at a young age, I had a pretty, looking back, I think I had a pretty good ear for a kid. Just like, I really liked, liked listening to music. Um, and uh, I don't you know, didn't really stop from there. I, I got into like BMX biking for a bit. And so I didn't play drums for like a couple years. I didn't have a kit anymore. So um, yeah, fast forward to like starting skating and then uh, meeting uh, some people through that is when I got into like punk rock and stuff. Uh, and yeah, started playing in bands. When I was like 13 or 14. Wow. I mean, there's the, the connections that skating has to you know from me talking to bernie mcginn from caulfield or so many people just i could list them all that it's just like skating either skating videos or hanging out with other skaters or thrasher that's how they found out about these things i don't think people realized like what a crazy uh i don't know it just they were just writing about stuff they liked and it influenced countless people in that time period Oh, it was such a gateway drug, like music, gateway musical drug for me. Like, I mean, I was um, all throughout elementary school. I really got into like heavy metal of the day, you know? Um, so even then I was still kind of a standout kid. Like I was in an Iron Maiden, like, you know, Number of the Beast when that came out, that was kind of taboo in, in fourth grade. <laughs> so um, <laughs> even my parents, they didn't really dig it and stuff. And then, um, I got into like the first when like right when Metallica came out and Slayer, the first wave of the speed metal stuff, I was in sixth grade. And um, I had two friends that would, uh, we were able to, you could uh, rent a ghetto blaster for the lunch time. You know, you would ever pay like a quarter or something like that and just have a ghetto blaster and you could play music at lunch. And uh, I had a little mixtape of like some of this, this radio show that I'd listened to in LA, uh, radio station called KMET 94.7. Really popular guy, Jim Ladd. He was a really popular radio host back then, but he did a thing called Metal Shop. And it was just like, it was mind blowing stuff. It was that he played. It was just like, that's where I first heard Motorhead, uh, Merciful Fate, um, you know, Slayer and Metallica, like in Anvil, you know, they were just a metal band back then, normal. and I made a tape of it, just like recording off the radio and took it to school. And then my two friends are like, I was like, check this out. Like, this is fast. I thought it was fast. And then they're like, oh, you want to hear something fast? And then they brought something the next day. And that's, they had like GBH and Bad Brains on there. And it just, wow. It just like floored my mind. And I was just like, oh my God, and like discharge. And I was from that day on, man, it just blew my mind. Like, I was like, okay, this is. It, like hearing Motorhead was the, and it connected to like discharge and bad brains. That energy was just like exploded like times a thousand. And um, 
from there on, that's when I got into punk rock. And that was the year I started skating and going to the, the Del Mar skate ranch, which was the only, uh, skate park that was around back then. Um, the, a lot of those skaters listened to punk when they would skate. So I heard like circle jerks and Cro-Mags, you know, from these guys, older guys skating the, the keyhole and, uh, just having these crazy sessions. I was still a little grommet and just watching and being like, Oh, these guys are going nuts. And the music's like totally getting you like psyched. And, you know, so they went hand in hand and that just like really, uh, inspired my, my creative thinking for, for music and finding more music that sounded like that. How did you find so, stuff? Was it, was it those <clears throat> mixtapes or was it going to the skate park or was there like a record shop that you started diving into? Yeah. We're, we're um, uh, didn't have too many mixtapes yet, but I was lucky to have, um, I mean, I had my, I grew up in Vista. So we had a Vista records and tapes, which actually have, looking back, it was a pretty badass record store. Cause they, the guy carried a lot of imports and like metals. When I was in the metal, I would, you know, I'd get the, um, I think it was called, I think it was Kerrang. Yep. One of the metal magazines back then that had a little bit more kind of edgy stuff in it. And, uh, I would, I would get that magazine and I would just look for hours and, you know, dream of buying stuff. And like my grandpa would wait in the car while I was there for like two hours. He'd just read his newspaper and I'd be looking in the shop and I'd, only for me to come out and be like, uh, can you buy this for me? Like, <laughs> be like oh, you know, and every now and then I'd get lucky and he would get something for me. And um, yeah, so that was kind of, that was the first place that I really started going to. And then, when um, I got into punk, I found out about Lose Records, which is, is still around to this day. Um, so, uh, you know, I didn't get to go there as much because it was a little, it was an Encinitas, so I was in Vistos. You had to have someone take me, you know, take, take you there. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, those two places alone were, were pretty good to uh, get punk and metal stuff. I love that. I remember yeah. I remember reading Metal Maniacs. I also I was a metal director in in college for my station even okay. though I was a hardcore but I was a hardcore kid but I loved metal. Yeah. And I uh I remember reading Metal Maniacs and being like this isn't really scary and then getting like pit or like some of like the deeper <laughs> ones and then they would they would have the weirdest stuff in the back and I would get scared. I'd be yeah, like, the, yeah, this the band doesn't come to town. The advertisements and like places that would sell like really kind of like underground t-shirts and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I was like yeah. this, I don't know if I want to go back to this magazine. Like I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. We had another place that's still around. It's in Oceanside. It was like where all the, uh, like Camp Pendleton, like the Marines were, you know, were all on the street and uh, it was kind of sketchy back then, but this place called inner world, which was a head shop and you know, sold, bongs and every poster and everything but they they probably still have the wall of t-shirts but every metal and punk t-shirt or a little bit of punk stuff like the coc shirts right but every kind of metal shirt you can think of it was it was awesome but they had like venom shirts and you know and like all the first wave like speed metal and thrash stuff and um Burzum. No, this is before. Before this was that, oh right, that was eighties. I was like, I was, I was like, a seventh, eighth grade. So Venom, that that was that was the scary one. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but they had this Venom shirt that was just, I mean, you probably get beat up for wearing it still. It was like, 
Um, <laughs> it was like a, a, a girl laying on this bed naked. And then there's like around this bed, there's like seven demons, like, like little weird Hessian looking demons. <laughs> and all you can see is their eyes and they're like drooling. And like some of them are clawing at her and like she's like naked on this bed and it's all venom. It's like seven dates of hell or something. <laughs> uh, I obviously wasn't able to get that shirt. No. But I still have the venom shirt I got from that day, which is like a it was like a one-eyed wolf cup or something. <laughs> God. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you would just think you were so badass when you got oh those. My God. Yeah. I <laughs> Yeah, you would definitely stand out at school for wearing that shirt. Um, but yeah, I don't know what that has to do with what we we're talking about. I just got. I, I want to talk about metal, man. <laughs> I love that. No, no, I. The way that people get to punk, the way that folks find this in this era is just so interesting. And I just think being San Diego and skating and having that be such a part of the culture, yeah. um, it was almost inevitable. Yeah, for sure. The same two guys that got me or that played that punk tape, that punk mixtape for me at lunch, a uh, couple of whatever, you know, a week or two later, they're like, oh, here's a here's these bands. They're, they're playing, you know, shows, you know, coming up and they had they would have the flyers and stuff. And uh, they told me about Dr. No and then a band called RKL. But then they're like, here's a band that's from San Diego. And they're like Battalion of Saints. And when i heard them i just like my mind just like totally blew because they were like you know they kind of crossed over before a lot of bands started doing that whole thing and they did it really well i mean like the guitar player uh his name was chris smith he was you know if he really wanted to play van halen he could play like eddie van halen but he also had a very um uh you know good punk style of playing hardcore and you know like it wasn't too too accomplished sounding like you know um but he could play really good leads and stuff and uh yeah that that was a game changer for me hearing those guys and then also like finding out that they were from san diego right i was, like, I was so stoked i was just like so proud of them like you know like a band that was like oh my god they're from here <laughs> no, I, I I think that in, inspires people. I I, yeah. I grew up in a really small town, and to see someone and be like they're on stage, I could too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so in your first, talk about your first punk band. Uh, uh, first band. Um, so the local skate shop that we had um, that opened up in Vista, which was a big deal at the time, because we had to go to Carlsbad or like go to, you know, another city to go to a, a skate shop, a place that had, you know, decks and stuff like that. And then finally we heard about someone opening up a shop in our little city, you know what I mean? And it was actually in the same shopping center as the, as the record shop. So that was even, even better. Um, uh, but some of the older guys that were a couple years older than my little crew of friends, um, were, uh, one of the guys was working there and, uh, and his friend was, uh, his name was Mark Hostetter. And he was already like the sponsored skater and stuff and was a really good skateboarder already. And, um, but we'd go and hang out at the shop all day and watch videos. And this is when like, you know, uh, first like pal buns brigade videos came out and we just hang out there. And, um, so we ended up kind of becoming, you know, knowing each other and becoming friends. Um, but he had started playing guitar and I remember hearing him uh, overhearing him say something about like 
looking for someone to play drums and start a band with some friends and stuff. And then I just kind of said that I, I play drums, but I haven't played in a long time. Cause at that point I hadn't played in like five years or something. Wow. So, um, uh, yeah, we talked about trying to get together to jam and he, uh, had a place to practice and I just had to get a kit somehow. So I rounded up pieces of a friend's kit and just kind of had a really makeshift drum kit, you know what I mean? For these first couple practices or whatever. And then, um, a little bit of time went by and then, uh, nothing really became of those first couple jams, but then like, maybe like, you know, I don't know, maybe six months went by and he had a band with, with these guys, like a, a full band they had started playing. And then, um, I heard a couple songs like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And then, um, uh, and it turned out their drummer, uh, ended up flaking out. And so they asked if I wanted to try and try out and they had a, different place to practice and so when i went over there there was already a kit there at this little practice room and it was the uh it was this house of another local band called blood lake and um uh i didn't know it until i saw them play but um so we practiced and we had a good couple jam sessions and that was our first band and uh we were called committed well actually the first name was uh (laughs) dismembered youth <laughs> and I still have the t-shirt. It was like a P like a little silk screen t-shirt. But then we changed it to the committee and stuff. And that was like was that more hardcore? Um yeah, but it was like it was more kind of crossover, you know, like kind of had metal-y sort of um tones to it. It wasn't as hardcore as I wanted it to be, I remember. Like I wanted to sound more like discharge or like you know, I thought we, and then like we were into like Youth of Today and stuff at the earlier kind of like Uniform Choice, right. but it had more of like kind of neurosis overturn overtones, uh, earlier neurosis, but which wasn't a bad thing, but right, you know, um, it was all over the place kind of. I like that neurosis yeah. with Youth of Today. I'm into yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was the first band, man. But um, yeah. And then getting, and then is the other one, I love this name, Chicano Christ. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a real band, but I mean, it. What was that? Was that just, was that just fucking around for like a couple days? Pretty much. I mean, um, I had, I was in 411 at that time. So this is already after a little while that 411 was together and they were based out of Orange County. I was from San Diego. So I would take How'd the train. You, you take the train up. No shit. Yeah. So there's a weird little history before this, that 411 came out of. Um, and you're, I'm sure you're familiar with Chuck Treese. No, tell me. You know? Do you know the band Underdog? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Chuck was the guitar player in Underdog. Right. And Nick Rad. Um, so he, he was a long time, still is a long time skater and musician. He played everything. Um, so he was sponsored back then and he would come whenever he'd come out to California, he would stay with, with Mark, my bandmate in the committed. Cause um, he was part of the skate industry and stuff like tracker and trans world magazine and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, Chuck would stay with him at his house and we didn't have a bass player for at that time. So uh, Chuck would sit in with us and play. And he'd play our songs and learn them and just, you know, help us kind of 
develop whatever we were working on at the time. And he was, man, he was so badass. I look back and like him having that kind of, um, he was so far advanced than we were at the time. And him to like just sit in with these kids and, you know, listen to our crappy songs that we were working on at the time was really, really sweet of him to endure that kind of stuff. But um, I would show him stuff that I was into at the time, like, you know, the first Napalm Death record, like, he'd be like, what is this stuff? It's like grindcore shit and whatever. It's like, yeah, this guy's playing a million miles per hour, you know? And then, um, but he knew like Bad Brains riffs that were never released because wow. he knew those guys. So he, he's like, there's a Bad Brains song that never came out. You know, he'd play that and let us jam that. And so that was kind of cool. But then um, he went he went up to Orange County to go meet up with Dan O'Mahony. Um, and they did a... a seven inch uh, i think it was called voice box and um so he did music music for that and then um we went up to record at the studio that up there for the committed and chuck was going to sit in with us on bass on these sessions so dan gave him a ride to the studio and um he saw us play a little bit and that's where he saw me play drums and then that's when he was like oh like he asked me about you know wanting to jam with with the with four one one. Wow. Because the the seven inch, the four one one seven inch is actually Kevin Murphy, the guitar player, playing drums in those two songs. And those were the songs that I heard to go and practice with them. But my picture's on the back of the seven inch, but it's not me playing drums. Damn. So it was like just the tape. They had just recorded those songs. Right. So um, so that's you know, Dan came down all the way from Orange County to Vista and picked me up and took me back and we went and played. And um, uh, I know it's a very long story, but that's how 411 came about. But oh. I would stay at Kevin's house, the guitar player, when it was called The Fat House. And uh, Ron Martinez from a band called Final Conflict lived there. And so I would stay the weekend there. I would take the train up to Orange County every weekend and practice with 411 and stay at Kevin's house, go record shopping, go to shows and it was fun, man. That was a good time when I was just out of high school and was like totally free to like do whatever. And, you know, and I was skating uh, for, you know, a company back then making a little bit of money. So I was able to like, just kind of do my thing. And um, the Chicano Christ thing kind of came out of, we went and saw that band Econo Christ and uh, me and Ron did. And then we came back from that show and we listened to uh uh, this band called Brujaria, like Ron, you, one of them, uh, this guy that, that was the singer in the band. He's like, Brujaria seven inch. We were just like, and I think we had been kind of, you know, having a pretty good time that night. And, uh, so we were laughing at that seven inch and just coming up with dumb stories and laughing and having fun. And then he came up with like a rival, gang of you know christian vegetarian homeboys to <laughs> be the the alter ego of, of them and then uh we just saw Econo Christ, so he came up with the name of chicano Christ. so we got kevin to play drums on that and i actually played guitar and our buddy steve to play bass and we wrote these songs in like two practices and recorded and that was it <laughs> wow <laughs> but yeah people still talk about it and still mention it every now and then so it's a great it's name funny, yeah 
How about um, what kind of shows were you seeing then? Like what what stuff were you going to see outside of playing and what was happening in the scene or what things did you start to notice? I'm trying to think I when I first started going to shows was when I was playing in The Committed, my first band. So that was um, like I saw Pitchfork play. That was one of the first shows I went and saw, which that was great. I mean, that was so different for the time too. And um, they played with the the band uh, Blood Lake, which was the local band at the house that we practiced at. And that was just like mind blowing. Like seeing Pitchfork back then too was, um, they were so advanced than any of the other bands, you know, they didn't sound like they were trying to do anything that was going on at the time. You know, it was melodic and still really heavy, I thought, like, in a melodic approach, um, but still like had technical kind of aspects to the songs that were, you know, they weren't like bonehead riffs or nothing at all. Right. Really thought out stuff. So that was inspirational. Um, and then Blood Lake was was really, really cool too, because that was hardcore, but it was, um, the drummer's approach was so different. It had like, I hate the word tribal, but he had these beats in there that were just so, you know, he utilized different kind of like tribal beats that went with this like really aggressive hardcore music and it really took it to a different level. And um, that was a really big influence on me. So, so even, you know, in, if it was the early nineties, was it more, the hardcore bands was it punk bands i mean i know for those shows back then it was kind of a smorgasbord too you'd see a metal band yeah. open a punk band second like it would be kind of all over the place was that the same way in san diego when you'd see stuff kind of i mean um in the sort of like the later 80s um it was still a little bit kind of like older san diego crowd where when it was still like really violent san diego shows um so there was a, a small period of time when I first started going to shows where the metal people and the skins did not mix really well. And, um, you know, there was a lot of fights back then. And, uh, right. But then, um, that kind of cleared out, like I would say around 89 or 90. And then, uh, I'm trying to think that's when I started going into Orange County for more shows and, more bands played there and wouldn't come to San Diego as much. So, um, but I'm trying to think some, some ones that stand out that were really fun. were like seeing born against come out here and with Rorschach and um, getting to see inside out, you know, a bunch. That was wow. really fun. Um, yeah. When you seeing stuff like that and thinking back now, what, what was different about, those shows or seeing those bands that still resonates. Does that make sense? Like I, I think about that for some shows, but if I'm thinking about inside out and knowing that I saw it back then and thinking about it now, what was that feeling? Um, a lot of it had to do with the energy coming from the band, first of all, but how that translated to the crowd. Cause like, especially the inside out shows, man, they were just nuts. Like, the whole floor would just be just kids just going ape shit, you know, but then like the band was also really energetic too. And, and, uh, they had a lot of different lineup changes, I'm sure. But the lineup I saw, you know, which was kind of towards the end probably was, was still really cool and fun to watch. And, um, 
yeah, just had a really, really heavy energy. Um, Born Against was cool too, because they just had a, they were from the East Coast and they just were just so raw and, and uh, scrappy and they just sounded East Coast, you know? Right. It sounded like being from sunny California. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, I mean, definitely a lot of people, um, when I was getting into punk and hardcore and uh, I mean, the word screamo I heard and it was, it meant, you know, uh, it meant 400 years. It meant frail. It meant these, you know, things. And then hearing about your band and obviously I'd lived on the East coast. I didn't, you know, I was young. I probably missed the show. I missed the zine that had the flyer that said the show was happening. Yeah. Can you talk about that formation of, and if I'm pronouncing and mispronouncing it, it's my, also my stuttering, but click attack, <laughs> Ikatawi, right? Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Click attack, Ikatawi. Yeah. Say it um, one more time for me. Click attack, Ikatawi. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, would, <laughs> I didn't name the band. <laughs> you didn't name the band because you didn't want so. Um, <laughs> was there, uh, I guess the, you know, talk about meeting those guys and then also the Gravity Records connection, which again <clears throat> resonated across the, you know, I heard about that back in that day as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, um uh, came out of uh accidental reuniting with people you know that i've known um scott bartoloni the guitar player who was in a band called heroin prior um his history goes way back so i had met scott when i was in my first band committed and i was 14 he was probably still 14 or 15. He's about a year older than I. And check this out. He was managing a band at 15 called Man, uh, not Manifest Destiny, um, Acid Bath. And those were 30 year olds that two of them were in that band Blood Lake. And they started this new band called Acid Bath. And Scott was managing them. Wow. And Scott used to put on shows in San Diego in the 80s. When he was 13, 14, 15 years old, it's wow. called tied. It was called tied down productions. So along with him and Tim Mays, they, he put on some amazing hardcore shows, you know, RKL blast, um, you know, there's a bunch of flyers still, but he was just a little kid doing it. Wow. Really, really cool story. But um, anyway, so I had met him when he was managing this band and then fast forward a few years later, uh, he was playing in heroin. And so I saw them play a little bit. And then um, I did like one or two improvised shows with a buddy of mine at this uh, space that was where the Che Cafe was um, at UCSD. There was these underground rooms that for like a, a year, they were just having these shows there, these empty rooms down in these bait, like it was like underground stuff. And um, we did a show there with Antioch Arrow and that's where I met up with Scott again. And um, yeah, he just said we should try to jam or something. That'd be cool. And then um, he called me a couple months later and said, hey, I got a couple people to, you know, try and mess around with and stuff. And then the singer, um, his name was Matt Goldsby, but he goes by the letter C, Goldsby. And I used to skate with him back at... Uh, Mike McGill skate park back in the days when 
after Delmar Skate Ranch closed, there was Mike McGill opened up a, a ramp skate park. And so I used to skate with him and Matt uh, C was sponsored by uh, Lester Kasai and stuff. So we knew each other through that, through skating. And then when he stopped skating, he got really into music and stuff. And then uh, he had a band, he sang for a band called Candle, which was, um, they did a seven inch, I think too. Um, so he was a singer and then uh, uh, Ryan Noel was gonna play bass and he wasn't in a band prior. So our first practice was at my house, in my room. I lived with my grandparents at the time and we just played in my room. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> super loud. And, and uh, yeah, I still have the practice tape. It's really fun to listen to. Nice. But, you got yeah, to release that, Mario. You got to release that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the influences that we kind of had going into it were a lot different from what heroin was kind of based, you know, sounded like, or, you know, was into. Um, but, you know, I would say like, we were really into like the big boys and Detroitson, but then like there was other stuff, you know, like Neil Young and like Grand Funk and, you know, like we were really into Hendrix. Like I literally, I ended up moving in with Scott later on. So we just had these kind of different outside influences that were, at the time, not um, really hardcore associated, you know. Right. But there was a lot of art, art punk stuff there as well that really, I thought, influenced the sound. You know, we got really into Joy Division at that time and um, uh, like Spaceman 3 and stuff. And so different approach, Game 4. <laughs> when you were playing that stuff, did it feel that it was different did like when you were talking to those other bands or playing those shows did it feel like there was a community or this other thing forming or did was it just well this is we're in san diego and this is what we're doing when when click attack started or well that was pretty early in the gravity scene um when like matt had put out heroin and maybe a couple things at that time he had just put out the annual first annual era and so there was a couple of bands that were already kind of forming around, you know, that he would release and stuff. And then when Click Attack started, heroin was still going on. Um, but then that uh, that was pretty close to the end. And then when we took off, then we just kind of started. We really were like, that was all we were doing was the Click Attack stuff. Um, but yeah, there was, I mean, there was a lot of cool bands at the time that were you know, local in San Diego or playing with. So it was a cool little scene. Cool. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like just what that was like in that time period? Um, I know before the internet, uh, I'd like to know that I felt that way. And now there's an after the internet, but before, you know, these things were slower. It was zines, it was shows, it was word of mouth. Um, But you were trying, you were, you were doing your own thing as well. So, um, I mean, uh, all, I will say that the Che Cafe was a was a really important part of having those shows and having that place to go to. You can go eat there at a restaurant, you know, if it was a restaurant and have food. But uh, there was always shows there. Um, they do like record swaps there. So that was a pretty strong place for community stuff to happen, you know. And then the 
the the gravity kind of scene had a lot of house parties and just like house parties and they were just raging like really cool shows at houses and um that was really fun that was new to me you know at least like the way they were being done was just like setting up and the you know this living room because punk houses were pretty common back then kind of you know like you could still get a house down in downtown san diego or like hillcrest a huge house and then have like eight people live there and you know and people were just having playing music and stuff and it was just like a big hangout so one of those houses was called the third street house and um uh you know matt from gravity lived there for a bit and ryan and c had a little room in the backyard that they both shared and you know there was like six other people living there but there was a little dining room that was the space where we practiced for like a year so there was also shows there too so that was cool and i was just like you could just always show up at the third street house and something cool was going on someone was working on a zine someone's working on some new little project or like you know art or like poetry kind of type stuff you know and um there was just a lot of different stuff going on a lot of people being creative i would say when you said art earlier i think that connected where i thought it was just more arty like i got i liked the revelation stuff i got it but it just felt it wasn't enough i wanted to hear more i wanted to hear something different yeah hearing bands like from gravity or ebullition but like hearing that kind of stuff being like okay this is a little smarter yeah you know, there was a really big influence from the DC Discord records, you know, uh, vibe of doing things and and doing it yourself and having the, you know, I think that had a very artistic approach to doing things and not just one thing. Like, again, you know, doing art and like they were having, you know, the not protests, but like having... Um, um, and there was a place that was, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but they would have like, um, you know, a communal community, like food and like people to come. Yeah. And have share their ideas. And if, you know, or if they needed a place to stay or do, you know, it's just like a very like welcoming kind of a thing. And, um, I mean, I noticed that that discord records, kind of way of doing things was really big in San Diego. And then when like Nation of Ulysses came out, that really like, you know, transpired and made people like visually kind of like look towards that too. And like the early gravity stuff really had that kind of flair to it, you know, dyeing your hair black and wearing, you know, I don't know, looking like how they were kind of looking. So not necessarily the the suits, you know, they were wearing, but like there was a style. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think back back then. It was, it was a pretty cool time. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? I mean, it's, I'm asking you about this band. God knows how long later did you, th- what have you thought about that o- over the years about how people still bring up this band and it's mentioned and th- those types of things? What, what does that felt like? over the years and was it something you know that you've thought about yeah i mean um you know it it doesn't always get brought up to me but i mean now with like social media and stuff like that like i definitely get 
get tagged on something that is related to that band, you know, to click attack. Um, and that alone is still kind of trips me out because it's, we're coming up on 30 years, you know, 25 years since that was a thing. Um, that band was, was to me was, um, very special because it was sort of, uh, I thought for me as, as a drummer, I came into my own, you know, uh, personality of playing um and like that band really had a cool chemistry i thought that was accidental but just right too you know like you can you couldn't plan plan to make a sound like that it just happened and right (laughs) you know (laughs) but it influenced so many people i mean a lot of people heard that thing just like you seeing nation of ulysses like hearing this record changed a lot of people the way they listen to things yeah, that's cool, man. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I look back on those on those shows pretty fondly. Like, yeah, I I trip out because I if at the time being in the band, it seemed like it went on and it was a band a lot longer than it actually was. We were only a band maybe like three years, I think. Wow. And fuck, man, that's nothing in the, right. in the scope of things now. Like, I think about how long Earthless has been around, and so we're like going on twenty years, you know. And like click attack was around for like three years. I'm just like, fuck man. But it was really cool. What about the dreaded word? Did you remember hearing that the first time? The word emo. Oh, emo? Do you, yeah, do you remember? <laughs> um do you remember hearing I it? heard about it way later? Like for some reason I probably got heard about it like way after it was being tossed around. My first remembrance of it was was it being referred to bands like rights of spring and embrace and like some of those kind of mid 80s discord bands so i didn't really i didn't think of it as how maybe a lot of people associate it now like i i just you know thought of it as like with this mid 80s sort of sound that had more emotional kind of like leanings to it you know um, but then, uh, you know, the music changed and things got whatever, you know, associated right. with, with later bands and stuff. That's just how it goes. Right. Yeah. At the time, the were, were the your peers or you guys talking and saying the word? No, nah, not, the, not at the time. Not when Clickatel was around. Like, I can't say I was really familiar with, you know, at least it wasn't tossed around much right. at all during that band it was after when i really started to hear it a lot more you know being used that's got to be so weird you did this band it stopped screamo right i had never heard of the term screamo until way after click attack was done and i didn't think anything about it and i mean because click attack we just thought of ourselves like we got called art punk a lot you know or like we had the older hardcore people that would come to our shows and they, we were just a little too arty for them, especially when there was a short time for like a year, we had uh, keyboards like synth, like just making weird sounds and, you know, didn't really know rhyme or reason. And right. uh, so some of the older guys would kind of poke fun at us and that's where that kind of came from. Um, but mostly it was just our punk, you know, we had a, a dip, you know, Scott used a ton of guitar effects on, on his guitar sound and, you know, we didn't sound anything like Antioch Arrow or like stuff like that. So, right. um, but yeah, uh, 
then later the Screamo thing got applied to to us and I don't know, I just kind of didn't really know what to make of it, you know. I, I wish but I was I started weird. hearing all these other bands later that called got called Screamo, and I'm just like, we don't sound anything like that. That's that <laughs> actually partly why I started Washed Up Emo, because I was like, they're saying this word Screamo, but it looks like a boy band doing yeah. that. And uh-huh. Screamo to me was like watching, you know, Policy of Three lose uh-huh. their mind and, you know, uh, uh, you know, have this sort of epic sort of sound. But that's, <laughs> I wish I was with you when you heard your band be referenced as that. Like, I wish I was in the room. But you'd be like, what did they fucking call us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a sign of, it's kind of the same thing as like, the label of like being called like a stone rock band or something, you know, there's always going to be some kind of tag to a sound nowadays. Right. Um, A couple bands I was thinking about that you, I think there's a few bands you played with that I thought was cool during this time period, but a band that I don't think is talked about enough Boilermaker. Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. They were close friends. Um, Yeah. I saw the first, yeah. First few shows they played. Um, and thinking back to when they started, they kind of had a little bit, there was like this slint Spider-Land kind of overtone that was going on back at, the, at that time. And uh, a lot of bands were incorporating that kind of quiet, loud dynamic. And they did a little bit of that, but they had their own thing entirely too. You know, that was just kind of the way they played. And, um, you know, uh, their songs had, emotion to them but they weren't in my opinion what i would call a emo band but they were really good emotion fueled music <laughs> yeah i don't think enough people talk about them yeah um yeah it's a bummer that uh taryn passed away he was the main songwriter and um really good guy yeah yeah some good memories of those guys for sure some other shows around this time period that I thought, you know, again, you know, uh, like Braid or playing with Unwound, playing these shows and playing that stuff, we don't have the instant feedback of likes, retweets, and things. And doing those shows, having that, connecting with these people in these moments where you're just there for a night and you're talking and you're hanging, like, yeah. What what did that did you feel momentum? Did you feel like we're making connections, we're making things happen, or did you come back and go, what just happened? You know, we still have this many seven inches in our, you know, our 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 van still. Or what did it feel like there were there was something happening? There was connections. Did I ask it correctly? It's just kind of like you you sometimes don't know. You play a show, 10 kids are there or a hundred. And you're meeting these people and bands and it's sometimes hard to tell if something's happening. Was there any sense that you were making these connections? I think we were with, with click attack, we were uh, lucky in the sense that there was already a little bit of a buzz happening, like with, with the gravity thing. Um, you know, so if there was a local show or whatever, I mean, like most likely we were just going to play a house party or like the Che or something. And we knew that was going to be, you know, some, our friends there. It was all about playing to our friends mostly. So right. the house parties, even if it was just 30 people, 
it was seemed like we were playing Madison Square Garden. You know, it was like, ah, everyone's going crazy. And then, um, you know, but uh, there was a little network of, of bands, you know, we like someone next Scott or Ryan would be like, hey, like uh, someone hit me up, Come, they're coming down from Olympia or whatever, you know, when they're going to play in LA and, and do this, like, let's, you know, ask us to play and let's go up there. And so there was this cool little uh, network of, of bands kind of communicating with each other and helping each other out when they'd come down to our city, same with unwound, you know, um, early on unwound days, like they had a seven inch on gravity at one point and, uh, we'd always, we'd play with them and that led to us touring with them two times. Um, so, uh, same with the, we played, we did a tour at slant six. Um, but the unwound tours were really great. Cause that was our only two tours we ever did to the East coast and the Midwest. So um, through that, yeah, we met a lot of people and were able to network, you know, like with our record that just came out and stuff at the time. And um, yeah, it was, it was fun. It's funny that you mentioned braid, braid and unwound in the same thing. Cause the first tour we did, we played at the fireside bowl in Chicago with braid and, uh, and unwound and like I want to say like Los Crudos or something like that, you know. So that was I remember that being a really really cool show. Yeah, I, but again, you hear these records and you're taking these leaps of faith. You know, you're yeah. reading, you're reading something in very catalog or initial records or whatever, and you're getting it. And I don't know, I, I the, that that late '90s was that last time you could do that. Yeah. So I also want to mention um, your connection with Metro Shifter. Yeah. Um, I just, I super into that band. I thought they were super weird and different. <laughs> and I loved, you know, the connection to Louisville and Endpoint and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> how did you get involved with Scott and, and doing some of that stuff? That's another one that goes back to 411. Wow. The first... Yeah, the very first 411 tour we did, um, we played in Louisville and we played with Endpoint. And um, it was just, uh, I'll never forget it, man. This, this you know, uh, youth culture type, you know, uh, Elks Lodge type spot, man, just crowded with hundreds of kids. You name it, it was almost like a daycare center probably for like some parents, like, you know, like 10 year old <laughs> kids running around. But after the show, it was like a really cool, nice summer day. It was kind of humid. So everyone was just outside and having a good time. But I just remember kids just being so funny over there. Like their personality. They were just like, <laughs> I, was just, I was laughing so much that day. And then after the show, we went and hung out with um, the Endpoint guys at wherever the apartment they lived at. And uh, just listening to music and they were playing all Louisville stuff. And um, so that's where I first heard Slint. And they played like Crane and a couple other things that were like local. And I just, my whole, my mind was just blown. Like, I was just like, wow, this is all from here. That's so cool. But like Slint was like, just blew my mind. I remember just like kept asking, who is this again? Who is this? You know, <laughs> I'm getting a tape. And, um, 
Yeah. So that's where I had met like the endpoint guys. And then on that same tour, we played in, I think Lincoln, Nebraska, we played with Sunspring and uh, we all stayed at the same house. And that was Scott Richards band prior to Metro Shifter. Um, so we stayed at the house after the show and that's where I got to know Scott a little bit and we stayed in touch and um, I stayed in touch with him and my buddy Chad, that was an endpoint, and we'd write each other. And I met a few other people that I'd stay in contact with. And um, I'd always just be asking for music and they'd send me a bunch of mixtapes of Louisville stuff. And, um, you know, fast forward a couple of years and Scott had went to New Mexico to uh, record this Metro shifter these demo tracks and he just used like a drum machine and um and then he asked me to uh record like with you know as a real band and so um and that's when i went out to louisville and i stayed there for like three months or something just hung out and we just jammed every day and ate crappy food and i skated like i knew skaters there too so i'd go and skate with those guys and um yeah i had a cool little thing with with people from there um, and it's even goes back to my skate days of touring through skateboarding. I remember my first skate tour I did, we, uh, we did a demo at the, the shop that was there in Louisville and that's where they also had shows. So that's where 411 played. And I was just like, man, I've been here before. <laughs> and then sure enough, it was like, it was the place where I did the demo, you know what I mean? Wow. Like in a couple of years prior. So, um, I had met, you know, the skaters there too. So I kind of had this two worlds combining, you know, of the skate skateboarding dudes that all went to shows and just, it was all connected. So, but yeah, but so we made that Metro Shifter record in Louisville, that first one, which was like a subscription. Scott got people to subscribe to uh, help fund the record. It was like, go fund me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> then, like late 90s <laughs> so he got you know like a couple hundred people to pay up front for their copy of the record and they'd get their name on that on the cover of it you know this record belongs to so-and-so and we recorded it and uh yeah it was cool we did some shows around it and then we did one more record where we recorded at um uh, albini's place that was the second record and uh did some shows around that and yeah that was that was it for me. That's fun. The other one I want to mention was doing stuff with Rob Crow. Uh, yeah. So um, you did stuff. You did Thingy, and then you also did a, a pinback record, right? I just did one song on the pinback record. but Which um, one? Oh, uh, man. Um, it's the most popular one. I can't Good remember. To see? No, like Off to Here or something. Oh, or, right, right, right. Something. It was, yeah, it was super straightforward um but it was a really poppy song and stuff but yeah i just i just popped in he asked me to play on a song and that's what it came out to but i just think rob is another san diego type you know again been around doing a bunch of stuff it must have been fun to you'd probably known about him before yeah yeah so he had a band called heavy vegetable and um yeah so we known those guys forever too and see them and they were really cool um once they split up then rob and uh alaya the the vocalist the girl vocalist um they were still 
wanted to do something. And uh, that's when he wanted to start. The, well, he, he had an EP called well, it was just thingy and it was just like a four song acoustic thing. It didn't really have drums on it. And then he wanted to make it a real, like a live band. So, uh, man, we, I can't, I can't believe that we learned like 25 songs in a matter of a couple months or something like that, you know, and then recorded a record. We did two records really fast. Um, we, we did like maybe like five to like 10 shows and something like that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the pace of, of recording those records was, I look back on how fast we did it and I, I'm just kind of like, wow. It's like, <laughs> but it was fun. It was, it was quick, but really, really brief actually in my life. Right. The other one I want to mention too, um, a friend of mine in college got me into Rock from the Crypt and I've showed Hot Snakes and um, I got to work with John Reese <laughs> when he did the Night Marchers on Vagrant okay. and I worked there for a little bit. And just yeah. one thing is, you know, just that was a rock show. What was that like, um, you know, doing, doing the hot snake stuff and rocket stuff. I mean, those are um, obviously you're an amazing drummer, but it's like, that's, it's like another level whenever I've seen them live. Um, it's, it's interesting to look back because um, rocket's been around for so long. Uh, and I saw, you know, the first, not the first shows they did, but um, pretty early on when they started playing, you know, they were still kind of just a party band. And, um, you know, they weren't, it was when the first record came out, Adam had just joined the band. He wasn't the first drummer, but he had just joined the band after that first record came out. And then um, that was right when like Circa Now was just about to come out. So that's when I was seeing them play a lot. And then, uh, so um i was familiar with that era of the band you know early 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 era and then i kind of lost touch with what they were doing for a few years i had moved to chicago in like 97 to like 2000 and uh and whenever i'd visit i was visiting back home um paul from a black heart procession that i was playing with you know off and on and he was a three mile pilot Paul Jenkins uh I'd go hang out with him when I was visiting town and he was uh I remember him telling me he's like yeah it's like Adam quit Rocket and it's like they've been you know looking for drummers and stuff he's like man mate you should you should try out you know like who knows you know what I mean like I'm like well I live in Chicago you know and he's like he's like yeah but can't hurt to talk and um Paul's girlfriend at the time was living with Andy the other guitarist and, and Rocket and um I we went to their house and then I saw Andy and uh, he's like, yeah, it's like, we've been trying drummers out for like a year now and stuff wow. like that. I was just like, really a year. <laughs> and, uh, um, he's like, yeah, we just haven't found anyone that's the right fit yet. And, and uh, I'm like, all right, well, like I just gave him my number, I think. And, and uh, later on I got, I got in touch with John who I didn't really know back. I didn't know that well back then. I mean, we had met and stuff. We knew of each other and, um, but then, um, yeah, I think I just said like, yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys are doing, you know, as of now or working on and stuff. So he sent me some songs they were working on just demoing up that actually, uh, Chris Prescott from no knife, he was, he played on the demos of these songs and I heard them and I really liked them. I just thought it was at a different point from sounded different from what 
I was familiar with what the earlier period of the band. Mm-hmm. And it was just, um, just really fun, straightforward punk rock and roll, you know? And so I, I studied the songs a little bit and um, decided that I wanted to try out. So the next time I went to go visit my parents, like for the holidays or something, um, we worked out uh, some time to play and it just happened. Yeah, we were we jammed and we was just like, oh man, it sounds really good. <laughs> what do we do now? You know. So I had planned on moving back home to San Diego. I remember thinking back in this at my at my life at the time that I was in my head. I was planning to move back to San Diego in like a year to like save up some money and you know work a little bit more and get some funds to you know drive back home and move everything back and. Um, once I, after I practiced with, you know, audition for Rocket, I guess, um, that just sped everything up. So that's how that happened. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I the next have... thing came a little, a couple years after right. that, but it's all interconnected though, you know, so. Yes. I, I feel like if that's show, if they list a band, it means the other ones too, or just like, you know, if that one's happening, the other one's around the corner, right? If it's like, well, <laughs> I never thought I would join hot snakes that, that totally like, it, I mean, it wasn't accidental, you know, but it was, I mean, I was a fan of hot snakes. Right. And, uh, you know, when Jason came out to, uh, I mean, when they did that first record, it was just, um, they didn't really tour around that first record. That was kind of just John and Jason doing that first record. And then Rick did vocals over it and they'd play a couple shows here and there when, uh, suicide invoice came out you know i mean our our practice space at the time was kind of used as a rec- recording studio as well you know for like overdubs and stuff you know and like i was there when like john was doing guitar overdubs and stuff and like just part of that little process and that was fun and then that record came out and we're like fuck this record is so much it's so good you know and it was just a totally different level from the first album and so i was just a fan and um what happened is that they wanted to tour more and actually take the hot snakes thing a little bit more seriously as far as really touring. And if I'm correct, Jason had just joined this band called the burning brides mm-hmm. that had just signed to a major label. So there was a little bit of a, a conflict of schedules and timing, you know? So uh, what happened is it just didn't work out with with Jason, so um, he had to do his thing that he already signed on to. So they they wanted to do the hot snakes, so they asked me to come be a part of it. How could I say no to that? Yeah, you know? right. No, <laughs> I just think you know, just you know, I, I only have a few more questions, so I won't I won't steal your whole night. Um, and uh, I appreciate your right. time, but just. <laughs> being able to adapt and connect with people on all these different levels and all these bands, that's, that's, that's a really good skill, you know, to be able to gel with people and and connect. And I know the drummer is always, you know, it is the spinal tap joke, but it's also like to be able to connect with this many bands in this way over the, your career is really amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't really, I didn't, I don't think about it or I never thought about it at the time, but now that I've, I have this body of work to look back on and how different each project has been. um, I, 
I don't know. I just feel lucky that I was able to work with people that were um, just really, really good, you know, artists, songwriters, players had their own style of playing. So I think I have my own style of playing that um, I'm not like a trained drummer by any means. I just kind of taught myself, but I, I think I, I um, looking back on my taste in music and my passion for like, uh, you know, being a musical listener. I mean, I love, I love buying records. I'm not a, a collector, like that type of collector, but I collect music. You know what I mean? Like I'm hungry to hear music and different types of music. So I think that really just shaped my ear to being a player, a, a, a player to play not just one type of thing. Like if all I listened to, to was just prog rock, you know, and that's all I'd be able to play. I think it's just prog rock. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't want to limit my tastes to one thing and I don't want to lim- limit my playing to one thing. And just like, I didn't want to limit my skating to one thing, you know, like, I skated, I used to skate everything, you know, my group of friends that we had of skaters back in the day was like, you know, most of them only skated street and like I skated, I seriously tried to skate everything. And, uh, you know, I was lucky to get a couple covers in the magazines back in the day, but like one of them was this full pipe. And uh, it was this this photographer. He had went to the spot and and spray painted it um, with these. He painted the the outside of the pipe, the full pipe, and put hearts on it and wrote the tunnel of love. And it was supposed to be a photo shoot for Matt Hensley. I don't know if you you're familiar with him. I'm not. He plays in he plays in a band called Flogging Molly. Oh right, right, and right. He's the accordion player, but he was also the most badass pro skateboarder ever in the '90s. And so. Um, we all went up to this, this spot for his photo shoot for the tunnel of love, you know, and then out of 12 fucking fools, you know, skating, no one was skating this full pipe except for me and Matt. And so uh, Dan Sturt, the photographer, was just like having fun with, with us two and, and, you know, and me, you know, just having fun doing my thing. I got a cover out of it, you know? Wow. And so it was like, just being well-rounded you know what i mean like having a taste for being versatile in skating i think i just transferred that mindset to music as well you know right i actually relate to that where there was one point when i was working records i was working a Nora jones record a motorhead record and jane's addiction and i was talking to all of them in their worlds and their things and they're all different they're all music but being able to talk to lemmy's manager about metal or Nora about jazz it that's that is a skill so i think you're being able to connect with all those people and then also on the skating side because that's again back to the start that's how you met so many people totally yeah yeah exactly it's skating is um i'm so grateful for that uh way of of meeting people and and meeting so many different like walks of life that come in into the skateboard world, you know, cause it's not, it's just, man, I, so many of these people I'd never would have had, I never would have probably bothered talking to or getting to know, you know what I mean? And I just, 
I just learned so much through that, you know, time in my life. And uh, yeah, it's, it's helped me a lot with music as well. So last couple questions, talk about Earthless. <laughs> Earthless is a, <laughs> it's, it's like this one big tree, man. It's like, there's all these like different stems that come off this, this, this trunk. Um, I, so when I just joined Rocket, I had just moved back to San Diego to join Rocket from the crypt. And uh, I literally within the first couple of months, um, we were practicing every day for Rocket to try to learn, you know, I had, my, my goal was to learn 50 songs, the wow. set list of 50 songs so that we could start playing some shows, you know, and have enough of a, of, you know, a couple set lists to just kind of pick and choose from. So we just made this huge set list of things to learn. So I was practicing every day with those guys. And then I, I had met up with a couple old friends um, from Encinitas and stuff. And uh, one of them, we ended up going back to uh, Mike Eggington. He's the bass player for Earthless. And we had known each other a little bit, but not super well. He was a little younger than me at the time, or you know, back in the days when we were doing shows, click attack shows, he would come to those shows. And we knew each other mostly from like seeing each other at the record store or something like that. And uh, he had bought records off me before, um, but we just kind of connected again and um, just over talking about records, you know? So uh, at the back then we were talking about like a lot of the heavier psychedelic rock bands that we were into. And um we just kind of bonded over a, a bunch of those and kind of discussed, oh man, we should, we should start a band that sounds like this band or that band, you know, and it's like based off of that kind of vibe, you know, and it was like a crowd rock type thing. And, mm -hmm. and um, so, yeah, we kind of had that little idea planted. And then um, he hit me up about jamming with uh, our, our old friend Isaiah that plays guitar. And he worked at the guitar shop that um, uh, Scott from Clickatet worked at. So, uh, and I'd always heard about Isaiah being, you know, like prodigy guitar player, you know, like really young, just killing it, you know. And, uh, but I'd never heard him play until we got into, you know, the garage and jammed out for the first time. And uh, that was another thing. It was similar to Clickatet at Itali, where we've gotten a room and from the first, time playing together it was just explosive like wow. my mind just was like wow fuck this is like i did not expect this happening you know what i mean like the last thing i was trying to do was starting another band when i just came home to san diego and joined <laughs> rocket from the crypt right <laughs> to learn 50 I mean? fucking songs <laughs> so uh yeah the first earthless jam was uh we played a cover of um, Led Zeppelin, I think Communication Breakdown. And then it went into like 25 minutes of improvised jamming, just lead guitars wailing. And I was just doing like click attack style drumming and going off on these different tangents and bringing it up and taking it down. And Mike is just the perfect bass player that he just holds it all together that we can just kind of run circles and go out and come back and I can reel it in, you know, like I can kind of control things to play to me, you know, mm -hmm. I can listen to Isaiah and, and do what 
go around whatever he's doing. So that was a whole nother thing that just like this whole other galaxy of, I had never tapped into uh, as a drummer before. Right. So that was just like, holy shit, here's this other, you know, thing that just happened. But um, the timing of it, you know, this was 2001. So it's already about 20 years ago um, that we first started getting together. But I had just joined Rocket. So there was, Earthless would just jam a couple of times whenever we could. Mm-hmm. And that was like that for the first couple of years. And then, um, you know, uh, we decided to finally record a record. We did that on Gravity, which was quite different for that label. <laughs> and um, yeah, throughout the years, we just kind of started taking it more seriously. That's badass. Yeah. So almost 20 years of that. Yeah. Time flies, man. <laughs> so what are you doing to stay busy right now? Do you have other stuff that you work on outside of music? Are there other fun things? I know Mitch mentioned that you guys worked at skateboard.com for a while together. Yeah. I mean, that was back. That, that was a way back right now. But um, how about but, yeah, right we now? We worked there for a couple of years. Yeah. Together. And stuff. That was a good time. Yeah. Um, that was a great job to have around touring as well, too, because it was a rare place where you could go leave for a little bit and then come back and we just we just worked in a warehouse together that was cool (laughs) what about right now what are you up to right now this whole pandemic thing you know i had planned to take what last year a little bit mellow um i have uh two kids here uh they're like three and, and almost two years old and uh so i wanted to be home a little bit more in 2020 but i didn't plan on taking the whole year off Right. Uh, but you know, the, the good thing out of this is that I've been home with my kids. So I've just been full-time dad. Awesome. Um, taking care of my kids. Uh, one of them is back in preschool right now. So, uh, but I take care of my young daughter right now, full-time. And, um, I jam with earthless once or twice a week. We're working on a record right now. We're, uh, we're on a label called nuclear blast. Fuck yeah. Nuclear so, blast. Yeah, I almost worked so. there. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I had three interviews when I left college. It okay. was, it was. I stopped in Philly, interviewed at Nuclear Blast, uh-huh. and I had two other interviews in New York, and then I drove to Vermont, and then and they, I think their offer was, I think it was eighteen thousand dollars a year, um, no insurance. <laughs> and I was like Philly or New York. I think I'm going to do yeah. New York anyway. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, they've been around forever. It's crazy. A fucking great uh-huh. label. Yeah, so uh, we we signed to them. We we have one record out on on Nuclear Blast so far, and then we're working on the next one. So um, just doing that, we're recording in April, and we're doing that with Ben Moore that recorded Hot Snakes records, the one that I did. And um, yeah, so that's about it, really. Pretty pretty mellow right now um, overall, but I'm I'm so glad to be able to play drums once a week. If, twice a week and play with with my friends and have that outlet still you know what i mean i missed live shows but um just being able to play is still it's still really i really really dig it that's perfect yeah thanks mario yeah man thank you i i hope you had fun i did yeah it went by fast oh man (laughs) 